message today is let your light shine from our six core value. I'm going out of order for those of you that are perceptive because next week Brian's going to be preaching on core value five, serving families and children. Today I'm going to be preaching on core value six, sharing the gospel locally and abroad. On the front of your bulletin, you'll see what our purpose statement is, which is seeking truth by embracing authentic relationship with Jesus that transforms lives. That's what we exist here at Rock. We exist to be used by the Lord to be a part of transformed lives. On the back, you'll see what our core values are, and we've been preaching through that for the past month, month and a half or so. And I ask, I, I say, why do we choose this passage for this core value of sharing the gospel locally and abroad? Well, why do we do some of the things that we do? Think about it. Why do we do what we do? Why do you pay taxes? Do you pay taxes But because you, you can't wait to pay them? Because you can't wait to give the government your money, right? No, we pay taxes probably because, well, we have to and because it's an obligation and because it's the right thing to do, not because we necessarily love it. For many of you, why do you wake up at, you know, 6 a.m.? to do this or that or the other thing? Is it because you want to wake up at 6 a.m., or is it because that's what I have to do to begin my day and start off? Why do we share the gospel with others? Is it just because, like paying taxes, it's a duty? It's something that God told us to do, therefore we have to do it? Or do we share the gospel with others Because we have a love for people. Think about this. Why did God, from the beginning of time, as we understand it, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, knew that in creation, humanity would screw up, that there would be sin, that there would be evil, that there would be war, that there would be destruction. Nothing gets past God. But God chose to create anyway because life is better than no life. That creation is better than nothingness. So God created the heavens and the earth, and He created it good. But as we all know, humanity and God becomes separated due to sin. And the Father, Son, and Spirit devise the plan of salvation and the cross. That in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God would select Himself a people. And this people were to be a shining city on a hill. And were supposed to, at least, they fell very short very often, were supposed to be an example and a model to the evil nations around them that their hearts would change it, that they would repent and find the true Yahweh God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that through this selected people group would come the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah, of one of the 12 tribes who would come and give his life as a sacrifice for you and for me and for all those who would believe. Now, why did God do that? Did he do it because he had to? Did God have to create? No. Did God have to send His only begotten Son, the second person of the eternal Trinity, Jesus Christ, 
Did Christ have to give his life for us? Was it just some duty that God had that he kind of grudgingly went along with? No, he did it, yes, out of his sovereign will, but out of his love for you and for me. A love that we could say we did not deserve, did not earn, but it it was earned for us on the cross by Jesus shedding his blood and taking upon himself the sins of the entire world, all those who would believe at all places and all times. He did it out of love for us. And if I have preached in the past, if we are happy that we have received God's love, we should not be stingy or selfish with that love. We should want to spread that love and spread this message of hope and of grace to others. Which is why this is one of our core values. We don't measure love based on how exclusive we can be. We don't have a secret membership code that you know, and and a list of items that somebody must check off before they can walk through our doors. Anybody is welcome to walk through these doors if they want to worship with us. But more importantly, we as a church are called to get outside of these comfortable four walls. We are called to step out of our comfort zones and not just say, hey, everybody, come to us. The door is open. That's important. We welcome anybody to come to us. But we also are called to go, to get out, to rub shoulders with people in culture, in our community, at our schools, at our job site. We don't just simply wait for everyone to come to us. It's a two-way street as well. Before I get into today's passage, last week we preached on, uh, I preached on Acts chapter 11. In the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts was written by, the, was written by Luke. The first volume of Luke's work was the Gospel of Luke. It was addressed to an individual named Theophilus. Theophilus was some prominent member in the community probably wealthy, maybe had some social political pull. And Acts chapter 1 starts by saying, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you all about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So now is volume 2 of Luke Acts, in the book of Acts, and it talks about the spread of the early church. When the gospel was first preached, it was just to a small band of believers who follow Christ. And in Acts 1... Before Jesus gives some final instructions to his disciples saying, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And right after he says that, the disciples say, well, now at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to set up your theocracy here in Israel as they were expecting from their old covenant days? And Jesus replies, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And he's about to go into his next statement here, which is the theme of the entire book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And what he's about to say is there's going to be something a lot greater coming than a literal throne and some literal king, a human king, sitting on this throne forever and ever. What he's about to show them is you have an eternal king who is fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, who is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And this gospel message you disciples have received I'm now calling you to take it out. Now, what he says verbatim is, but you will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That verse right there, Acts chapter 1-8, is the thematic verse for the entire book of Acts because the gospel is born in Jerusalem. In chapter 2 in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. And now, all of a sudden, people of various tribes and tongues are hearing the gospel in their own language. And as you go on in the book of Acts, the gospel first spreads from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, which is just outside of the borders of Jerusalem. And as you go on in the book of Acts, now we see the gospel being spread through all the ends of the earth. And in Acts, Paul has three missionary journeys, primary missionary journeys, where he visits various cultures and areas. And that is where, in the New Testament, the different various letters of Paul, Romans, Philemon, Ephesians, most of these books were written in response to his missionary journeys directly. All of them were written, at least indirectly, due to what he's hearing and learning about various people who he and his associates are ministering to. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is awaiting trial in Rome. The belly of the beast, the Roman Empire, he's now waiting to be tried before Nero Caesar in the mid to late 60s of the first century. And what that is showing is that the full force of this pagan evil world system could not stop the spread of the gospel. Remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples and he tells them that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I want you to be encouraged as we're talking today about spreading the gospel locally and abroad. No matter what roadblocks the enemy has thrown up century after century after century for thousands of years now, the gospel continues to march on. I want you to be encouraged by the fact that no matter what, black eyes exist on the face of the church because of some rogue, evil elements. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. I want you to be encouraged about the fact that no matter what tragedy or heartache our brothers and sisters might be facing in lands across the country and around the world, The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And if you are passionately seeking after Him, and you are standing for what is right, and you and your faith is rooted in the cross, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Your God is with you, and you will overcome, and you are a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at our passage today, a well-known passage from the Sermon on the Mount, dealing with the salt and light. Because, I jump from Acts over here, because this notion of the gospel spreading throughout the world, was that something that was only supposed to happen in the first century? It was not a trick question. No, it's not. It's something that is to be happening today, which is why here at Rock, we have a major focus on trying to reach people in our community, right here in Royal Oak, 
and in our surrounding cities. In fact, in this room right now, we have people represented from Royal Oak and Clawson and Ferndale and Warren and all kinds of other places, all within our general vicinity. So we ha- and, and one of the great things about Royal Oak Church here, we have a wonderful location, don't we? Do you know, I, I just had another one of these letters, like two of them in the past month, from realtors saying, hey, would you like to sell your church? No, I wouldn't. We want it for the same reason that you want it. It's a wonderful location. And we have so many great things that are happening here. You, you, I, I don't care what amount of money. Well, I'm sure there could be some price somewhere, but probably not, probably not. <laughs> we have a wonderful spot here, and we have a great church. We have wonderful ministries that are impacting people from birth <laughs> all the way up which is why I continue to say from last week to today, there is a place at the table for everybody here, regardless of what your background is, regardless of where you come from, there is a place at the table. And we'll talk about that a little bit more again. But the theme of our message today, if we can throw that up, again, tying in our purpose statement and core value six is that because we are a church seeking truth by embracing an authentic relationship with Jesus, we share the gospel locally and abroad. And why do we do it? Not just because we're duty-bound, not just because it's something that you know God told us to do. We do it out of love for people. We do it out of love for people to share the gospel. And to share the gospel, we have to let our light shine. Not hide it, not be ashamed of it, but let this light shine. And that's what brings us to Matthew 5. And this salt and light passage, this comes from the Sermon on the Mount. This is right after the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is preaching to the crowds, he's preaching to the masses. And after he gives the Beatitudes, this is one of the first segments of the Sermon on the Mount. And it talks about being a salt and a light. So if you will, you've had some time here to find your passage, Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament, first gospel. And read read with me, if you will, Verses 13 through 16. These are the words of Jesus. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone In the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. As we learn from this passage today, may you speak to each of our hearts individually and may you speak to us corporately, uh, speaking in, in terms of Am I being an individual who is letting my light shine? Am I standing for you? And as a community, as a church, Father, are we corporately letting our light shine here in Royal Oak? Speak to us, Father. Teach us. Encourage us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We'll go to our first point here from verse 13. We go up on the screen here. We are called to be a spiritual preservative locally and abroad. What do you mean by preservative? Well, if I'm going to take this passage here, I'm going to take it in context. Back then, they didn't have things like we have, like 
refrigerators and freezers. Can you imagine the things that we deal with today? Remember back when cell phones just used to make phone calls? Now they hold my sermon notes. Now they do everything else you can think of. You can go shopping. You can do this. You can do that. Your phones do a little bit of everything today. We don't know how to go back and live the way that we used to without all this technology. Well, can you imagine living without a freezer or a refrigerator? By the way, there are still plenty of people around the world that don't have our modern-day luxuries. But back then, at least in Jesus' time, they did not have nice big silver freezers, refrigerators, and what they would do to keep meat fresh was that they would pack it with salt. And what would happen if you didn't do that? Well, things would smell pretty bad. It would invite rodents and insects and everything else. Without the salt that was serving as a preservative, things would rot. Things would rot. So, what is the application here when Jesus is telling us to be the salt of the earth? To be the salt of the earth, we know that there is a lot of evil around the world, don't we? We know that there is a lot of evil right in our own backyards. And that's unfortunate, but what would happen if you plucked out the body of Christ from the world? I love when I hear from these pseudo-intellectuals, non-religious and the atheists saying, well, if we could just get rid of organized religion, and if we could just get rid of the church, things would be so much better. Thank God they're never going to get their wish. Thank God that the gates of hell will never prevail against God's church, because if you pulled the preservative out of this world, if you pulled the salt out of this world, the rank evil that we see on a daily basis would be, oh, so much worse. And I've talked about before how the church does not get the credit that it deserves from the world. That's to be expected. We hear about the bad stuff. You know, on a, on a regular basis, if you've got to search a little harder to find it, you learn about the body of Christ doing amazing things around the world. The body of Christ providing hundreds of thousands of people with clean drinking water around the world. The body of Christ literally feeding and clothing people around the world. The body of Christ opening its doors for those who are hurting to come in and find hope and find healing. The body of Christ, which is faithfully preaching the gospel message, allowing sinners to confront their sin and find a Savior who gives them a new life. Whether you want to call it being a born-again Christian or regenerated, if you want to use more fancy theological terms, justified, progressing and just sanctified, all this stuff, this is the point. That before we knew Christ, we were living in spiritual rot. And maybe we didn't know it, all of us, but we were living in spiritual rot. And we encounter Christ, and we are made new, and we are made whole. And now instead of being a part of this worldly system now, we are a part of preserving a message of hope that needs to be heard. So, 
this is one of the reasons that I, you know, I understand people say, well, uh, I'm not for the, the conventional church. Let's, let's be part of house church movements and this and that. That's fine. That's biblical as well, where we don't have a choice. But where we have a choice, I firmly believe the body of Christ should be as visible and involved as possible. Maximizing its reach and influence to reach other people. Now, if we keep going in verse 13, it says, but what if the salt loses its saltiness? It's no longer good for anything. We must retain our flavor. Of course, I'm using a play on words here. We must retain our flavor. If the salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? We throw it out. How many of you have ever, and this is a very United States problem. I wouldn't be giving this type of illustration in various other parts of the world. And this just can show how kind of privileged and pampered we are. But how many of us have gone shopping and then, you know, we get our new groceries and then we have to go and find the stuff that's already expired. The stuff that we didn't get around to eating because we had too much food. That's a problem in of itself, but I think you see where I'm going with this. And you see it expired, and you got to get rid of it. Anybody else ever been in that boat, right? Or you go through your refrigerator, and sometimes in the refrigerator, you'll find something that's been back there since about 1986. You had no idea that it was still back there, and you got to get that thing out of there and get rid of it. But it's expired. It's no longer good. In fact, it could even be unhealthy if you ate it. It could even poison you if you ate it. The body of Christ is here, again, to be a preservative. So we have to retain our flavor, and we must avoid our own pollution because the point is this. We are supposed to be, by rubbing shoulders with other people, by being a light to other people, we should be bringing others up rather than others bringing us down. We ought to be bringing others up rather than others bringing us down. And we must stay sharp and focused because I know just as well as anybody how easy it is to get busy and to get sidetracked and to not have enough time to be in Scripture, to not have enough time, uh, supposedly have enough, not supposedly have enough time to spend time praying with myself or with my family. And what happens is when you begin getting distant from the Lord is that the salt is going to start losing its saltiness. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you're no longer a believer. That's not what I'm teaching at all. But I am saying that we can lose our spiritual effectiveness if this blade is not being sharpened on a regular basis, which is why one of the great reasons I encourage you to get involved in a small group if you're not already involved in one. It's one thing that, you, you know, you come to church, and I love coming to church, but what do you do? You, you're here for probably an hour and 15 or 20 minutes at most, and you listen, you know, you sing some songs, and you listen to somebody talk. In a small group setting, you're getting to interact with people. You're getting to know people. You're getting to bounce ideas off of people. You're able to confide in people. If you're not part of our prayer chain, what a great way to know what's going on with others throughout the week. To have something come over your phone or over your email and to know when and how to pray for somebody. 
Just this past week, I learned that, uh, I put out a prayer chain the other day that George Tesser had a little piece of skin cancer. Now, we're going to be praying for you, George, because we want to hopefully see that there, that that's that. Today, I just learned that, that Doug was wound up in the hospital for a few days. We need to be praying for these two men and others in our midst, right? And also to celebrate with people. Celebrate. There, there are some, a lot of good things going on in our lives. We want to celebrate that. So we want to stay connected. We're part of a community. And if you're not a part of a small group, I'd say, well, what ways are you helping lead others? Because one thing to be sharp, and I'll tell you, it's another thing to lead something. If you're preparing a, a lesson or a teaching for a small group or for our kids or for whatever it is that you might be doing. It's a great way to move forward in your walk of faith. Now, for some of you, you might just need to come to a service for a few months and not do anything and just marinate in worship. And that's okay as well. But there comes a point to kind of step out and get a little bit more involved and get to know other people and to help be an example to others. Now, you might say, well, I, I, can't, be a, I can't be the salt. I can't be the preservative. You know, I, do you know all the bad things that I've done in life? You know how far I've been for God from, for how many years? Now, I'm not saying you should come up and be a, a, a preacher or, or, you know, jump right into being a deacon or something like that. But I will say this. Those of you who maybe have felt far from God, first, get your own house in order. That's number one. Once you get your own house in order with the Lord, and by, by that I simply mean a prayer of repentance. I'm not saying you need to be a spiritual he-man or woman, but simply acknowledging to the Lord that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, or you, you, it's been a long time since you've been in His presence. But my point is this. Those of you who have been far from Him, the, what distinguishes you from those in the holy huddle, as I like to call it, the holy huddle, you know, the good church people, the kind of No, you have the contacts. You know people who are far from the Lord. You have family and friends and associates and coworkers, people who desperately need the gospel. You have this already built into your lives, these connections. Many of the good church people after a while, we'll begin to lose these contacts. And by the way, if you truly want to be a good church person, don't just hang out with other believers. Don't just associate with other believers. A, quote, good church person is going to be rubbing shoulders with people who need the Lord. Again, which is why we need to be people who are sharing the gospel locally and abroad. So we must retain our flavor. We need to stay strong, stay focused. And we must avoid pollution. Now, a little caveat here is that sometimes, have it, how many of us have ever known some Christians that could be a little overbearing? You know? I don't mind salt, the little salt, but like a little, you know, just, you know, an appropriate amount. An appropriate amount. When something just tastes overwhelmingly salty, I, want, I, don't, I don't want to eat that, okay? To me, I find it a little gross. But it's, you ever meet somebody, they're just so in your face with Jesus. You know, right now, this is probably a little obnoxious, a little annoying. I hope it is. I hope it is, because that's how some people are on a regular basis. And what it will do is it will almost repel people. It will repel people. 
So we got to be careful with that. I mean, I, I think of a guy on social media, every, every status update, everything was just overbearingly like, man, just chill out a little bit here. So we don't want to drive people away with what we believe. Point number two, we are called to be a light in the darkness, locally and abroad. We are called to be a light in the darkness, locally and abroad. Verse 14, 14 says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I'm just going to spend a couple moments on this, but no matter what your lot in life is right now, whether you're young, whether you're older, whether you're in between, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, don't sell yourself short. If you are a child of God, you have a precious gift of salvation. And don't be selfish with that gift. You have the opportunity to be a light in other people's lives. You know Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. People will gravitate to you based on what they see if you are letting your light shine. I'll brag on my wife here for just a moment. One thing I've always heard about her is that she always has a smile on her face. She always just radiates positivity. There's something different about her. I hear that a lot. People will look to you and see that there's something different about you or your relationship or your family or your, your lifestyle. What? Something is going to distinguish you from others. And that's not, it's not a point of pride for us. We say, I'm different, I'm better, and we look down on people. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that there are many people who are like I once was and maybe like you once were with some type of giant hole in our heart that we tried to fill with everything imaginable under the sun. And nothing filled that void except Jesus Christ. And you'll be surprised how God, who God brings in your midst, and how he brings them in. One of the first churches I ministered at, I recall a, a family or a couple that we had been introduced to. We went through some difficult times, and I had this couple in my office, and I said, you know, I don't believe that it's a coincidence that you're here that you found us, and that you're here speaking to me today. And they said, well, you know, we're not very superstitious, but <laughs> that's how they describe it. We're not superstitious, neither am I, but uh, we'll, we'll just see how that goes. But yet, over time, the church just poured love into this family. They ministered to this family, and after a while, they just said, "What? this is incredible how all these people are here for me. I think back to another church I was involved in where some leaders went and, and just visited the home of an individual. 
who had visited the church but hadn't made, yet made a profession of faith. And this individual thought, well, he gave their testimony some, some years later, said, I thought they were just coming to see how much money we had. There is that cynicism that exists, right, because of some of the things that we see. And then again, those rogue elements of the body of Christ. They just couldn't fathom that these people are here because they want to get to know me and that they like me and that they care about me and they want to minister to my family. We're called to let our light shine. Here at Rock, I don't want us, and we're not, to be a silent church. Church that doesn't broadcast what we believe, who we serve. Again, we're visible in the community. We have a great location that's built right in, but it's one of the reasons that we try to do a lot of different ministries. Try to minister to different people to, to draw people in, not just to build some empire, but to help people know that there's a God that loves them. Some of you I look out that are here today, we met through some of those ministries, and we're glad that you're here. And many others, you have been instrumental in being a part of those ministries. So whether it's that kind of stuff or our or, or weekly gathering here together, proclaiming the gospel message, proclaiming the love of God, and again, if you have time afterwards, please come fellowship with us afterwards. Get to know us. We'd love to get to know you. But we live in a dark world, and we cannot become discouraged about what we see and what exists out there because it should come as no surprise that a fallen sinful world will act like a fallen sinful world. Raise your light up. Let it shine. And let us be hope to the hopeless. Point number three, we are called to be unashamed of our love for Christ locally and abroad. Again, from verses 15 and 16. Okay, now you have a light, but what good is that light going to do if it is hidden? If you've got to put it down somewhere. In my house, when it's time to go to sleep, the TV's got to go off, right? Can't have that light on, you've got to go to sleep because that, you know, and sometimes I'll try to, like, get on my phone and sneak that phone up and, hey, are you on your phone? No, no, I'm not on my phone right now. I don't, I don't know what you're talking You're dreaming. You're dreaming. I don't know what you're talking about. But in the context of ministry, we need to be leaving our lights on, folks. And we need to let that light shine. And we don't, you know, if, if your power's out in your house, how many of you ever had your power out in your house and you had to, like, find some candles? You know, that whole routine, you're stumbling around, it's kind of dangerous, you don't want to drop no candles or whatever. But if you've ever had that happen, you know, you try to get some lights and you try to put them in the best locations to bring light to the rest of the room. If you're trying to bring the most light to the room, it's, it's like these lights, we don't, they're not, like, on the ground. We raise them up, and that's just common sense. In our ministries, in our lives, raise your lights up. Don't be worried about what people are going to say about you, how people are going to feel. You know, that is between them and God. And I, I remember this because I don't know where everybody's situation is. I remember when I first came to the Lord, people thought I was a nut job. You're like, well, you are a nut job. So, I mean, what, what's the big news there? But people thought I was weird. 
Mom, I'll pick on you just a little bit. You were a little alarmed that I had those fill-in-the-blank things that I brought in from church. You're like, I think he might be part of a cult. I need to go see what he's doing. But I'm glad you came. Because through that, you had an encounter with Christ. Mother's Day 2000, I remember. Mother's Day 2000. And plenty other of examples. You know, people might have some things to say. They might not understand it at first. You just pray for those individuals because you never know how God is going to reach them. So I ask three questions here, or I make three statements. Let others know who you serve. We don't just serve generic God, whatever that means, or a higher power. We serve Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross, was crucified and rose again. This isn't to be exclusive here, but we don't teach that all roads lead to the same path. That might sound warm and fuzzy, but it is illogical, and there's no rational basis for it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And by the way, when it comes to sharing the gospel locally and abroad and doing this in a spirit of love, we are not doing people a favor by preaching lies. And we're not doing others a favor by failing to call out evil. We're not doing a favor by failing to call evil evil when appropriate. That's tough love, and it, sometimes it needs to take place. But we need to let others know who we serve. But we also need to show others who we serve. That old saying is, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. This isn't just about which Twitter warrior can leave the most bomb-throwing statements on social media. You know, you're not going to tweet or Facebook others into the kingdom of God. And we can talk a big game, but at the end of the day, it's, are we showing others through our actions that we love and care for them? Have you ever said to somebody who's maybe going through a tough time, hey, if you ever need anything, give me a call. And then they do. Well, didn't see that one coming. I thought that was just something polite that we say to people. Oh, I'll be sure to pray for you. Are you praying for them? Right? Let's not just use words, empty platitudes, empty little Christianisms. Let's rise to the occasion and be there for people, not just in words, but in actions. That's where the rubber meets the road. And don't forget who you serve. Because what is the whole point of being the salt of the earth or letting our light shine? Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what? Praise your Father in heaven. Not exalt you, not praise you, but praise your Father in heaven. By being a salt and a light, we are so, supposed to be roadmaps to the cross. Our lives ought to be leading people to the cross. Not just being good people. Of course, theologically, the Bible says there's not one who is good. No, not one. We are made good in Him. We find hope in Him. We find forgiveness in Him, and we find eternal life in Him. As the praise team comes forward at this time, I ask, as we, con as we conclude, a concluding challenge we'll throw up here. How is your light shining to those around you?
we have jobs, we have families, we have this, we have that. We're busy. But are we too busy to let our light shine? As we sing this last song, I want you to do a personal inventory and consider how you are spreading the gospel to those around you. Our priority, you know, a lot of times we can romanticize foreign missions, and we do that. We have a large missions budget here at our church. But just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that we started with, the gospel is the first start in our locality, in our vicinity, which now places a responsibility on each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. How has your light been shining? Has been shining? If not, today can be a day where the Lord speaks to you. And you might not have all the answers. Okay, Lord, what are you going to have me do next? But trust him and follow him. He will make a path known. Let's stand and sing.